I figured up last fall that 99% of my land that I'm in control of is in rest. You know, we're only ever on like 1% of it at any given time. So that way there's always something there. And like we graze it once and they give it plenty of time to recover and send down the roots and build up soil. And once the soil temperature gets up, it's ready to grow grass Yeah. in, in a drought. Welcome to the Soil Health Labs podcast, engaging ranchers, farmers, and researchers in the pursuit of healthy, functioning soils. We are returning for another episode in the Soil Health Labs podcast. I am Barrett Self. And I'm Buzz Clute. And today we have an episode with rancher Bart Carmichael out of Faith, South Dakota. As we said in the last podcast, we've had another episode with Bart uh, sometime last year. It was episode 25 about drought. And this episode, Buzz, is going to be about what? Primarily about grazing year-round. But of course, it'll also be adaptations to the drought that we've been experiencing in South Dakota. Well, straight to the point then. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Bart doesn't really need much of an introduction. I think perhaps one of the other um, things that we talked to him about, you know, he took a very bold move earlier on in the year to take his livestock off the land, and he grazed them on corn stubble in Nebraska. So um, this is, you know, he was talking basically destocking without sending all his animals to town, and so that, um, I think, is a great innovation, and I think that will pay d- amazing dividends as this new grazing season comes, especially if we continue to see dry weather. Bart is also, sorry, Buzz, I'm just looking some things up while you're talking. Bart is also going to be in one of our radio spots. So it'll be the 29th radio spot that we're releasing. Is it across the state of South Dakota? It's pretty much, it's on seven or eight radio stations. I can't remember all the radio stations. Yeah, so I know I know Bart wants to be a celebrity. <laughs> right? I think Bart just wants to be left alone. Yeah, well, we're not doing a good <laughs> we're job. Not, we're not doing a we're good really job. We're not pestering doing a good job. him all the time. <laughs> yeah, so, so do or do, don't uh, be on the lookout for that one, depending on what Bart wants. Uh, but anything else before we go ahead and hop into this one? No, like I said, he, he needs no introduction. All right, we'll hop out of the way and let you guys enjoy this episode. Bart Carmichael, so good to have you back on the podcast. You're our sage, you're our north star, you're our guiding light and teacher, So we wanted to get you back because so much has happened between the time we spoke to you last and now. So, um, Bart, let's get down to some serious business. Uh, Originally, I had been thinking of just getting a little bit of additional information from your chat with Joe. Joe went out uh, and visited with you in January, and we got some good footage of year-round grazing. But you called me up, you texted me and said, Buzz, we need to talk a little bit more. There's a difference between year-round grazing and grazing year-round. So we wanted to cover that. We've spoken to Pat Guptill, who really surprised us by just talking about how important that, you know, the calving on grass, the late calving is. 
uh, in his whole scheme. But I, I wanted to talk to you that um, to uh, I wanted to for us to talk to you about that. But maybe later on, I'd really like to segue into talking about um, what you did to prepare for the drought because I'm assuming the drought situation is still as bad as it ever has been. It and is. so this is fast becoming an extremely relevant topic. So and, and let yeah, me jump ahead. in. Yeah, let me jump in here real, real quick. Buzz, you said that I got some good footage of year-round grazing. Um, actually, that's probably not the case because we didn't have any snow on the ground. So we, yeah, right. we really set out to to capture some footing of uh, some footage of cattle grazing in the snow. Um, and it has been, and this is a good segue because it, it has not been a good year for that. Uh, probably a couple years, right? Yeah, um, we're in, we're, we're entering into our third year of drought. Um, yeah. And it snowed, what, two days after you were here? Just yeah. It's always it, you know. day late and a dollar short. The story of my yeah. life. But yeah. I'm, a, I'm assuming that's already gone, Bart. Oh yeah. So it's been practically an open winter for y'all. Very. Yep. Yeah. Very yeah. open. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Bart, let's let's first start and um, let's first talk about your year-round grazing strategy. I think, you know, the 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 notion of grazing year-round is has been, um, it's it's not really something that a lot of people do. People graze season long and then feed hay from November until it greens up. So talk to us a little bit about that and your evolution because you. You hate the question of, um, you know, what do you do now? You're you're always saying everything changes. So talk to us about that evolution of how you got to year-round grazing and why you do it. Well, how we got there was we uh, we just started extending our growing season, and then as we, uh, you know, we I hate to just say the word fence down, but we increase our stock density on certain areas so that we could lengthen out our grazing area or grazing time you know and you know pretty soon we was going eight months you know nine months ten months uh 11 months the, the last year was the best year we'd ever had for it and, and partly because of the drought because at times there's the winter tells you you have to feed or it gets too deep or it, you know gets crusted over and, and you feed for a couple weeks or three weeks or a month um and and that changes so we've had we had one year we we started feeding i mean it just we had a snowstorm and it got really crusted and hard and cows couldn't get through it and we started feeding hay the 6th of december which i was devastated um you know but by the end of january we were back to grazing and and grazed all the way through um last year into 21 um we just fed for two weeks of some bitter cold and we did that just so they didn't have to work so hard in 30 below weather and but they grazed all the way through and so it's it is an evolving process and, and being kind of roll with the punches you know so last fall um we get through with our cows and we allocated or not allocated but i do uh inventories in the spring and fall of the year of how much forage i have so that way, going into summer, I know how much old forage I have. Like we just got done doing that. So it's before the growing season. And a lot of, because I'm going to change out uh, 
my uh, old grass for new grass, you know. So, <clears throat> so and the and it that forage inventory worked out just right for the cows we had to get. I had figured about to the end of November, and we were going to have to do something. So we we adjusted some numbers then, and we had talked, you know, last spring about adjusting numbers, and then. We were looking going forward that we still had grass in front of them. I mean, we didn't run out of grass. We still had grass in front of them, but it was going to shorten up the rest period I want on my on my land. So we were looking at a third, a 33% reduction at that point coming in for what was left. So then that's when we made the decision that we either was going to sell another third of the cows or something and then that's when we decided to send the cows away to corn stock so they've got to graze the whole way through um and then they just come back here 10 days ago and then and we had grass and ready in front of them so they went right onto that and with a little supplementation of some alfalfa so right now and that's partly keeping in mind of year-round grazing is your production model and what you're wanting because uh, you know, you can just turn them out there and leave them grazing the whole time, but then that's going to change your production model. And, and a little bit of like, like this, the alfalfa is providing some extra protein. And now we're just got just enough moisture and it's warming up enough that we're getting a little bit of green grass under that old grass, which is always what I'm looking for anyway, in winter grazing. And, uh, and so now, now they're transitioning into right into that. So we're moving them and giving them that extra green every day so and then that keeps them off you don't have to feed the alfalfa hay and that's why we did it totally is if we get our stock density up and we can graze and harvest that efficiently uh, we keep our input costs so much lower as far as buying especially on a year like this when they're talking you know two to i've heard as high as four hundred dollar hay you know uh well, if we can do that with grass that's growing on this ranch and always be looking forward, you know, on what we have for forage and not just looking at today and thinking, oh, I can run a bunch of cows because I got still got grass. So you, you got to think out ahead of it, you know. And so like when we go into, like I said, in the spring, we do an inventory in March and kind of have know what we have for forage, old forage standing out there. And then. We'll adjust our numbers to that and that it goes into our drought plan as well, you know, and it's it's really like Pat calls it. It's just a forage plan. Mm -hmm. We get scared when we call it a drought plan, but it's just our forage plan and that can change every year. So and then when we get to the end, then we do another one in October. To see how much regrowth we've had on some and how much rest we've had to give or or not give, you know, and then we need to adjust again, you know, and, and that's not always down, you know, it's. We can adjust up, adjust down, depending on the growing season we've had. When you're talking through this, for somebody that it doesn't understand what stock density means and some of the terms that you're using, the the one thing that I'll throw in there is you become a, a long-term planner, long-term thinker. You have to look ahead one, two years on this. And you moved your cattle out of there. You brought them down to Nebraska, right? And you said Correct. that they just... They just came back. So um, 
how do how does a rancher how does somebody get to the point where where they're looking ahead like that and they're understanding that just because you have this grass um, doesn't mean that you should continue to graze it that you actually need to cut things back um, and mm -hmm. and just say hey you know what we're gonna we're gonna kind of cut our losses here right um, that's a challenging thing to do you've got kids and you know you, you have response you have Bart, you have responsibilities, yeah. <laughs> right? So, so how do you get there? I think, I know I think that, my wife has responsibilities. Well, to get me I, to do it. Yeah. I, I, I know that, that Shannon yeah. has a new, a new business. Um, right. And the last time I was there, she was, I don't know what she was baking or something, but she was, uh, she's doing catering, right? Correct. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so I think that's, that's part of your long-term plan, right? Is that you have to look at other ways to make money and, uh, you know, you have to minimize your risks and, and talk about that. Talk about the why a little bit. Well, yeah. So like, like the, the responsibility and the risk, you know, is if you go just, I got grass and I hang on to the bitter end. If we wouldn't have sent them cows away. And like I said, we were looking at a 33% reduction at that time. We sent them away for 110 days, which is roughly 33% of the year, you know? So that's what we were looking at for doing as because destocking is not always selling it, it's something that's getting them off that grass that resource you know and uh and that was an economical choice if you hang on to that bitter end if we would have just kept them here hoping for snow hoping for rain and then we get to this time of year you know they could have grazed till probably 30 days from now and if I would have waited just till that bitter end and it didn't rain or didn't snow, what would we be looking at economically? Um, you know, there's already quite a few bread cows going to sale barns now. You know, people are kind of getting to the point where it ain't raining. We got to do something. We got to start destocking. Well, we had already made that decision and destocked some last summer, destocked some last fall. These by selling destocked this winter by moving the cows to a different resource, you know, so that we were saved our resource for now, you know, and so <clears throat> now if it starts transitioning and, and I have the inventory we just done, we'll carry the cows through. So, I mean, that's the planning ahead of trying to think of where we're going to be and what what's the best economic decision at that time, because if we get to the, like I said, hang on to the bitter end, you got to sell all your cows for $800. What kind of decision is that, you know? So if we can start selling some off early, you know, at a, at a better price and hold our core herd together and you better utilize our resource, which <clears throat> there is a little bit of danger in that, <clears throat> excuse me. And I see it in other operations that, that aren't like Buzz is talking about moving them cows every four days, you know, and I've talked to a gentleman the other day that they move about every two weeks, three weeks, you know, on pasture. And uh, so they were going to reduce their numbers. Well, so you, you, you lighten the density of there, but you didn't really change a lot of the grazing pressure because a lot of them plants are still going to get overgrazed and not get rest period. Because now, you know, even if you sold half them cows and they go in there and then you keep seeing grass, you're going to leave them there longer and do more damage. So uh, we want to get that density, like stocking rate is what you can run, you know, 
on your land, but the stock density is what how much cows you can put on one place for at one given point in time. So like four hours or 12 hours or a day. And we want that density as high as we can get it. So that way the rest of that land is getting a rest. And I figured up last fall that 99% of my land that I'm in control of is in rest. You know, we're only ever on like 1% of it at any given time. So once they, once they move off, that's, you know, and it's grazed. Some would even maybe call it severely grazed, but it's grazed at that, that for that day. And then it's given 419 days off, you know, roughly give or take. But so that way there's always something there and like winter grazing, that's where it really comes into play for us is mm -hmm. if we have that, that, that grass that's rested, fully recovered, when seed has leaves, it's protecting. And then it, the next year's shoots are coming up in it, you know? Yeah. We saw that, that when I was out there. Yeah. 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 And that's what we get to graze in the wintertime. And that's, and it's really, really high in protein. So it, that helps balance out the old grass with, you know, for the protein level. And then, and then it gets moved off. So we're never hitting the same spot every year after year after year. So, you know, if you winter graze it, like, like we do, we probably are uh, dampering that year's production on that piece of land, but it's not going to get grazed again that year, you know? So then it gets to redo it again. And then the schedule's off or the timing's off. So it gets grazed in the middle of the summer of the next year, you know? Uh, and so it, it, it's kind of a, Oh, the boom and bust or, you know, I mean, it's, we're, we're not that severe to it, but it's, we graze it once and they give it plenty of time to recover and send down the roots and build up soil. And I was just out where, where you were, Joe, when you come out in January and I went up on the side hill there uh, and was kind of looking around and looking at what grass I had and what was starting to come. And, you know, and even up on, on top of the hill, which is the shallower soil, you know, we got, we got ground cover. It's totally covered in litter withstanding grass and around it. And, you know, I just scrape my finger back and scrape that deal and it's all moist and wet, you know, so it's, it's once the soil temperature gets up, it's ready to grow grass. Yeah. In, in a drought, you know. So that's, yeah. that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I had a couple of follow up questions and let me give it from a layman's standpoint. By the way, Bart, we're moving the cows at, in this little research you see behind every four hours right now so <laughs> rather than four days so <laughs> yeah. yeah that's and, awesome and buzz your cows you're in south carolina yeah we're in so south carolina I, so okay somebody so, you, know, uh, you know people will say oh you know that'll work in south dakota but right. here in south carolina it'll never work yeah, See, yeah. what i hear it'll work in missouri and south carolina right right it'll work here Right. Yeah. So we're trying to demonstrate that uh, this is a converted cropland area and uh, we're we're trying to move it towards pasture. And I'm going to try and do some uh, native grasses as well. But but back to my question, I just want to clarify. So um, I don't know. Is there often confusion between stocking rate and stocking density? Stocking rate being your long term, how much how many animals do you have on this whole land versus stocking density? How many 
how many live pounds of live weight do you have in that particular grazing cell for that particular period of time? Okay. Is that a decent is that a decent explanation of that? Yeah, I'd say it was a very good de definition, and that's a lot of times when you are taking people that are confused about it or whatever, you know, that they really imagine them being in a corral or, you know, can the cows even turn around, you know? So we've, we've taken pictures and videos of, you know, maybe I think one time there's 280 cows on seven acres, you know, and it's like, how do they even turn around? And, you know, but they got plenty of room, you know, it's not, yeah. you know, yeah. So that's density just for that day, you know? Correct, correct. Yeah, and, and uh, I think with their herding instinct, that's probably very comfortable for, for them from what little I've observed. Yeah, and so we've had a, a, a evolve a process there as well, because you think about your density and you want them tight and in the herd, you know, and, and then you'll talk to somebody, I love it when the cows are spread out all over the pasture, you know, and, and, and I get that, and, and I always thought, you know, like the herd deal, and we want them tight. And so now <clears throat> I've kind of come to the point where I want them as tight as they can, but be spread out in it, you know? And so, 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 yeah. So, so they're relaxed. Dis and, right. Yeah. Equal distribution of manure, equal distribution of urine, and yep. then hoof impact as well. Yeah, we're seeing that, yeah. I, yeah. I had a also a follow-up question. Um, you know, this strategy you used to send your your animals your these were brute cow, most of them were brute cows right all, all of them yeah, yeah. so yeah. your your kind of your core herd you sent to nebraska you know put them put them and transported them on i know you were not a hundred percent certain when i spoke to you in october tell us how you were feeling there because i know that that was a radical adaptive move oh very yeah it was <laughs> it's it's very nerve-wracking that's a lot of ranchers it's it's loss of your control you know somebody else is going to take care of your cows and watch them and they're six and a half hours away you know and uh it's challenges to go see them to make sure other than make sure they're being taken care of but yeah it was it's quite a transition then and then they'd never been gone that long before either so it's you know that was another deal to get used to of and most everybody's like well what do you do all day you don't have no cows around and it's like well the cows really don't take that much time to do chores you know about 20 minutes a day i go out and break ice and move uh move wire for them it's not that big a you know so so i was still busy but it was nerve-wracking to send yeah your core herd away and hopefully everything's okay when they, you know, on the other end, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, another question. So it, it's almost like sending your children to summer camp for the first time, right? Yeah, or boarding school or something. Yeah. I, I, I went to boarding school. I, 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 I would not have liked to have sent my kids to boarding school. But, yeah. <laughs> the other question I had, Bart, um, and feel free to disclose as much or as little as possible. Uh, the, the first question is, you must have entered into some kind of arrangement with someone who had a place for the cows to go. In this case, I think it was cornstalks. So did you have a contract with that person? And did it end up uh, um, economically 
uh, feasible for you to do that versus, say, feeding hay. Um, um, so yeah, I, I knew the gentleman. I did not have a contract. Uh, talked on the phone, you know, I mean, I knew him, he knew me, we trusted each other. So, um, and that's how that worked. Um, I'm assuming you paid him some kind of rent then? Yeah, yeah, we just paid him rent for the, you know, each month, basically, that they were there. Um, so much a day, I guess, is really what it come down to. Gotcha. And, uh, economically, yes. I mean, basically, it cost about half of what um, it would have cost me to feed them here, not even counting uh, equipment and wells and, you know, just in feed costs, you know. So it was very economical as far as that goes right now. Um, okay. And it kept the core herd, you know. So. And I, just a, a couple of follow-up questions from that, and then Joe, I'm going to let you talk because yeah. I, I don't have a notebook in front of me to write down. But um, were there responsibilities that the, the the landowner had and responsibilities that you had? For instance, if you needed a vet, would you pay for the vet bill? Were you double tagging them? Were there arrangements, special arrangements like that that you guys made? Uh, in that situation. So I just wanted some of the nitty gritties in case somebody's thinking of, well, you know, I, I'd like to destock as well, but I don't want to, you know, sell my cattle at $800 a head or something like right. that. Right. Yeah. Um, we They went down under the arrangement of full care or, you know, he'd care for them, uh, <laughs> mineral salt, water, feed. Um, we didn't have any vet issues, but I assume if we would have, that probably would have been my cost. I mean, I would assume that. Um, unless it was negligence or something, you know, but, um, what was the rest of that bus? <laughs> well, it was just some, some of the responsibilities, what responsibilities yeah. would you, you have had versus what he does. So he's providing the food, the water, the, the minerals. Yep. Uh, he would call the vet as well. Yeah. Uh, did you, did you have yeah. to double tag or anything like that? We had to, um, we did double tag and we wouldn't have had to, but we did, um, just, in case something lost something down there um most of our cows are freeze branded or something anyway but but we did double tag them because we had to run them through they had to have uh interstate clearance so we had to read all the banks tags gotcha on gotcha. the cows and have uh they all had to have a permanent id bangs numbers you know uh usda numbers so they could be tracked and so then and then they were inspected for health you know to go and then the, the trucking was one of the bigger expenses. I mean, and trucking's going up all the time, you know. So, um, you know, it, it added quite a bit per day. And, of course, if you weren't there as long, it would have added more per day. So that's, you know, spreading it out over the 100 day, 110 days was get the trucking where it's economical to do it. You know, if you would have went for a shorter period of time, it could have cost quite a bit more in trucking. And I divided that out per cow per day, just for the cost, you know. And it was still half as expensive. Yep. As yeah, as that was that was including the trucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That's, uh, that's a lot of math, Bart. <laughs> Did you know that you were gonna have to know math uh, when you got well, into this? Well, one, I like math, but- That's good. The side of it, 
you know, one thing us ranchers are, we are all CEOs of a business yeah. and a multi-million yeah. dollar business. And if we're not willing to do math, we maybe need to hire a CEO because yeah. that's, we, we, we got a lot at risk, you know, and, and that's, I even thought about that, like Buzz asked about a contract or something, you know, when we loaded them cows that morning, you know, there's over half a million dollars worth of cows rolling over the hill and yeah. no contract, no nothing. They were just leaving the state. <laughs> so you, you wow. want to know who you're working with, you know. Bart, I'm stressed for you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't imagine the stress you go through. I was thinking about this. Um, most of the land that or the land that you have is land that you own, correct? Or are you leasing correct. some land as well? I lease okay. some land too, yeah. You lease some land too. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I think about um, you might answer or or talk with Shannon when you make your decisions. Um, I know that every situation is different, but for a rancher who is leasing their land, you have another <laughs> layer, right? You have to talk to a landowner and, and help them understand the math and the the risks or minimizing risks and the decisions that you make and and you throw a drought in and you throw in the planning that you've had to do and destocking and moving your cattle that's a that's a big ask that's a big thing to ask of a landowner and and um how do you have these conversations how do you prepare for this how do you make these decisions um i i just talked to my land one of my landowners this morning so yeah um, it's one keep that communication line open i mean and and in some ways is light you know um so that way when that important decision comes about you're used used to and comfortable talking with each other you know and so not just when you have a problem you call the landowner it's call the landowner and be in communication with him all the time you know or quite often so that way yeah you have an understanding of each other and how you each communicate, you know, um, and that's part of it. And yeah, Shannon and I, you know, I've, I've always looked at it as husband and wife, your business owners together. So yeah, now, um, and we just started this, should have started it. We just celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary. We probably should have started it then, but we just started it this winter, but now we have weekly, Friday mornings we have a meeting with each other yeah um, at 7 30 in the morning just to and and there's communication all week but here's what needs to be done here's what I need to work on here's the numbers I need to run here here's what she needs to do you know I mean so and then we kind of sit down with each other just to have that talk you know and she's a list maker I'm a doer so the list really helps her and it actually it's actually helped me too because then I have something to look at and check off and, and keeps me responsible, you know, right. And responsible to her too. So, yeah. So, um, a lot of the decisions and the direction that you've been taking, that's something that you have sort of honed down over the years. Obviously you, you, you learn from mistakes. Um, you learn from your success. <laughs> um, probably more learning from mistakes than anything. Um, but, but you've sort of, it's been an evolution to, to get you where you're at, but I've been to the grazing schools. Is that something that is helpful if you're a new producer and, and you're going through these droughts and, and, uh, you know, really just the conversation we've had here in the last 30 minutes 
it's all pretty overwhelming when you think about the decisions that you have have to make. So grazing school, is that a good place to start? Great. Excellent place to start. I mean, that's, and we go, you know, through the grazing school, we, we go through drought plan, forage planning, you know, all that stuff. And we also talk about paradigm shifts and changing your mind and um, planning ahead and, and writing a mission and vision statement, you know, getting that out there. So you have a target instead of just wandering, you know, um, the, yeah, South Dakota grazing school is just, I think top notch and it's, uh, it's led by producers, you know, with some technical help. Um, and, and we go through, you know, we each, each, uh, group has a, a herd of small herd of cows, yearlings, and they all get a different objective, you know, and to try to hit over the three days and, and really learn to see what that looks like. And so we can visualize, you know, what, what that's happening and, and the animal behavior. And there's so many things going on that, yeah, that's an excellent place to start because there's things broke down for you. You get visuals and cause you can go home and just be, you know, or just hear this and be overwhelmed and like, where do I even start? You know? And so, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard of um, a number of people that have gone back to the grazing school more than once. Um, just because you get everything, you know, so, so much out of it. Um, you talk about that it's producers that are, um, that are running this, some producers, I know that some mm-hmm. of the NRCS folks are involved with it. Um, and, and I'm sure that you're not all there just counting your money, getting rich, getting paid, uh, for <laughs> running this, right. This stuff is coming yeah. from your heart and it's something you want to share what you have learned. And that's, what's always, um, I think, um, not it doesn't really amaze me but um it's the one thing i really enjoy when i go out and and talk to producers is that um they have all this great information a lot of times they've paid the price to get to where they're at to to understand where they're at and yet they're just giving away this information for free why bart why and and i think it's yeah you have a good answer well it's a passion you know like i know like pat and i both it's it's really a passion and we want to help people learn and why because yeah we've i know like me i uh i had the mindset i wasn't going to missouri to go to a grazing school because it rains down there all the time what are they going to teach me you know so i had to learn my own peg wheel deal you know and make all the mistakes and then and then finally go and start talking with people and you, you want people to succeed. I mean, we don't, you know, there's talk about opportunities and stuff. Well, and if somebody don't see something, you buy them out or whatever, but nobody wants that, you know, and we, it, it really is a passion. It's just, and yeah, I was signed up for a class the other day and Shannon's like, why are you paying for another class? I'm like, so I can teach somebody. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, I don't know why it is. It's just a passion. It's uh, I don't. Yeah. It, it seems yeah. silly, but you know, but, but then, you know, and I've done some consulting on the side and stuff. So that, that helps offset some of that, but it's, you know, yeah, you're, we're not going to grazing school to get paid and get rich. It's you, you want people learn. And, and, you know, truth is we get excited about it too. When somebody else gets excited. Uh, so it, it's that feeds us, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, 
I, I think if you're a born teacher, you know, that that is, you know, watching your students thrive and, and succeed. But agreed, you know, uh, Joe, I've been in this thing, you know, with row crop farmers first since 2010. And it's remarkable how free guys are with their information. and They're willing to talk to strangers for 45 minutes to an hour about stuff, you know, that which is which is just wonderful. We'd like to briefly interrupt this episode for a short announcement. Over the past couple months, we've put in a lot of work to revamp our website, growingresiliencesd.com. It is now completely updated and live. On the website, you'll find all of our podcasts listed, as well as our video content and blog content. In addition to that, we also include links to resources from our sponsors. So for any farmers and ranchers out there in South Dakota and the Midwest as a whole, if you need any of these free resources, please check us out at growingresiliencesd.com. And now, back to the episode. I'm going to pull us back to the conversation on the the year-round grazing. You know what, as, as you and Joe are talking... I think one of the things that, as 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 you were talking, was that year-round grazing is not a switch that you turn on or turn off. It's 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 not a binary thing, and so you're working towards it. And if you don't make it for a year, you know you don't beat yourself up. But this is simply adaptive management. So you're adapting for drought. You're destocking. You know, I like the idea of destocking without actually selling off your herd. I'd, I'd never thought about that. But this seems to be on a continuum where your aim is to graze year-round. And if you do 10 months, then you do 10 months. Yep. So is is that is that kind of the thing? And, and all of this comes down to, in my opinion, back to this adaptive management process. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah, what, I mean you can't control the weather, you know? So, I mean, if the weather just locks you out, but that's where that calving comes in though. Like you mentioned earlier, the later calving, it gives you so many more options as far as that goes because of when them trimesters hit, you know? So if, if your second trimester hits, you know, in December, you're going to have to do something. You okay. Know? Just, just a second. So we're talking about, my, uh, uh, the the whole idea of calving on grass or calving later, yeah. right? So right. And being essential to year-round grazing. I just just want to. Yep. Yeah, it makes a huge difference because I even know even like us, and we were considered late at the time. We were we'd been calving now, just right at the beginning of April. Well, it changes them cows' nutrition needs. You know, earlier in the winter, the earlier you calve, and you get out away from that a little bit and you you get time for green up and them cows can heal up gain beyond the gain calf you know it makes a huge difference so um that's where the the trimester that i was speaking of right you know hits and, and where their their nutrient requirements jump and so and if you're not planning ahead and there's winter grazing a lot of times people they'll feed and but they grazed it last summer and then, but they leave the gates open. So the cows go out there and graze some. And, and really in my mind, that's really not winter grazing. That's kind of overgrazing. And so planning ahead to always have that grass in front of them 
that has the nutrient value in front, you know, that they need makes a huge difference. So, but it's, it is really being about being adaptive and that's, uh, I think we, we really get locked into, this is how we do it. And this is where we calve and this is where they winter and this is where they summer. And when I first come up with this and it's not our mission statement now, but, um, you know, I wanted a cow, I wanted, I wanted land that could be grazed any time of the year and I wanted a cow that would do it. And then there's more to that, but there was, but also that changed my production model, you know, and so like that later calving or whatnot, it's, uh, it can't be the same old, same old if you want, if you want a specific goal. So that's where that goals come in. If that's what you want, then other things you're going to have to change to make it happen. Gotcha, gotcha. I hope you remembered, but you know, you, you when you spoke to me on the phone just after Joe visited, you said there's a difference between year-round grazing and grazing year-round. And I was wondering if, you know, that sounds like such a silly uh, little thing, but I was wondering if you could elaborate for us because often these very subtle, nuanced things help us recalibrate our own mindset. <laughs> well, I mean... Since you set this up, I've been trying. That's why I called you right away so that somebody else could hear it before I lost it, just being busy. And I called Tance and told him the same thing. And so I called Tance. I go, do you remember what I said? And I'm, he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, give me something, Tance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me something smart to say. <laughs> and I, I think it's the planning deal of, of, you know, planning to year, graze year round. And that's where, like, we're, when we do our, that inventory you know we're looking out a year ahead for forage you know and <clears throat> and there's people that can just turn out and do some winter grazing <clears throat> but they're not grazing year round you know it's it's making that plan to make it happen not just circumstance you know so because i know in like these open winters it makes it easier but so that if they would have planned ahead to graze year rounds, they could be doing it. But as it is now, they're trying to do it, and it's on ground that's already hurting in a sense. You know, because yeah. it wasn't planned ahead. You know. Yeah, I, I gotcha. So, in other words, sometimes there's an opportunity to go graze because you've got the little, you know, what you see is green. But when you go out there and 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 uh, graze that then it you you're really damaging things for the summer coming up yeah yep. yeah yeah and you're opening it up i mean when we graze a spot you know and if it's if it's got snow that's actually better it's actually better to winter grazing for our year-round grazing deal if it's got snow because it's that's like a shed for it it protects it you know and yeah. if it's open like this year and you go in and, and open that up and graze it off it has no protection for the rest of the winter and it's freezing then, you know, and freezing down into the ground and different things like that. So it's, yeah, you know, so it needs to rest afterwards for sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, uh, apropos that or, or uh, about that, um, I, uh, I did a course with Dr. Elaine Ingham. She's a soil biologist and, you know, it was about compost and all of that kind of stuff. And she said like 20 or 30 years ago, Everybody believed that anything under the snow, there was zero microbial activity. And then someone 
you know, made a, a chance discovery, you know, it like missed by mistake. And it's like, what in the world is all that soil biology doing under the snow? And they discovered that the peak of soil biology, biological activity, and I hope I'm quoting her right because I, I, I need to fact check, but she was saying that very, very high soil biological activity happens under snow, especially at thaw. Oh, and yeah. It's like, wow, so these microbes just love the cold. You know, you've got cold-loving microbes. And, uh, you know, isn't that amazing? You know, you'd think it's like a desert bi biologically under this, that snow. Meanwhile, those microbes are working overtime. Oh, it's full of life. And that's, you know, and then, like I said, the snow is like shit. Like, it's an insulator. So it's actually, yeah. you know. Gotcha. A warm area. And then this, and where that grass is rested, and then there's the sword sticking up above the snow. It's, that's, that's still a solar panel that's drawing heat down into there because you know you'll see a grass where it'll it'll <clears throat> it transfer that heat and it it's it's not froze there it's and that's really what makes cool. a difference on winter grazing you know yeah you see it on plains when you travel you have this differential thawing process going on mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's amazing well i have forgotten everything that you and I have talked about for the last hour. So I wanted to, go to <laughs> sum up and answer the lot, or at least um, um, and, and finish off for us, because I, I ran out of things to, to ask and say. I've got one. I got one thing, uh, <laughs> one comment I, that, that I always think about when, when we're talking about, you're looking at um, sort of the details of what keeps your ranch running properly and what keeps your grasslands healthy and you're talking about sharing information with others and that you know that brings you joy um from a big picture standpoint the things that you're doing and the the impact that it has on the planet and climate um are are so much bigger than just what it the impact that it has on your pocket right so oh, yeah. um by grazing properly and and leaving grass for 400 and some days, um, you have something on the ground that is helping to, you know, feed the soil and, and create really, uh, you know, uh, really help with climate change and sequester carbon and, you know, all of those things that Buzz could go on and on about. But um, I'm sure that's something you're aware of, right? Is that something well, that you guys talk about in grazing school? The big yeah. impact. The big picture. We we yeah. yeah we like the. I mean, there's details in the school, but yeah, we love the big picture things because everything we do has an effect, you know. Yeah. And and that's really what it all it is is cause and effects, you know. Even whether it's mine or yours, and you mentioned my rest, you know, that's that's because of my rainfall deal, you know. So the brittle in the scale, you know, where Buzz down there, you know, 400 days of rest would just be devastating to him. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, he'd have way overgrowth and, 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 and we've actually run into areas we've noticed that too. So a really good soil or something that, you know, gets too matted, you know, so when they go in there, the density needs to be higher to break that up, you know? And yeah. so and then we've learned that, well, that, that piece of land can't get that much rest, but this one could use more, you know? And so it's, and it's all on the rainfall uh jim garrish uses the 10 inch rule kind of uh one rotation per 10 inches of rain which i think is fairly accurate um we're in that 
12 to 14 inch rainfall. And so I'd like to shorten it up, but every time I try, it, it burns me. So we've just stayed kind of over a year. So it has over a year's rest and, yeah. uh, and then it's increased our diversity out of our plant life and our health and just the whole, I don't know what the word is, but <laughs> the vibrancy of the pro yeah. of the system, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, I, I actually, Joe, I lied. I had one other thing, you know, I'm a, an aquatic scientist. And so part of that is, you know, what you guys are doing is you've decided not to send all of your phosphorus and other nutrients down the Missouri River. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, because the guys in New Orleans have said, you know, that the shrimp fishermen have said they've got enough already. So you've decided to keep yours. And, uh, yeah. you know, the thing that got me into soil health was the frustration that, you know, by the time we get into water bodies, that those water bodies are already dead or dying. And all we're doing is diagnosing the symptom and not mm -hmm. fixing the cause. And when I found out from Ray Archuleta that soil soils were dynamic living systems that we could change it with ma management, it was like this big fat light went on. So uh, yeah. that, I mean, my life has not been the same since I met Ray Archuleta. Well, it's it's <laughs> changed. I I swear I was so frustrated with aquatic sciences that I was going to become a barista at Starbucks. <laughs> well, something, once you start down this road, I don't really know anybody that's turned around and said that's crazy. It's just, you just open up a Pandora's box and you just start learning and learning and learning and learning and keep going in there. It was such a pleasure to talk to you and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again, but so nice to have an excuse to visit with you. Oh, I enjoyed it as well. Both of you guys. I just love yeah. visiting with you guys. So. Great chat yeah. with you, Bart. Thank you for having, on me. having me on. Buzz, I uh, neglected to ask you the last episode that we had, how having Joe Dickey on here with the podcast has been. Oh, you know, Joe's uh, uh, just a wonderful person. Um, he has a habit of keeping me grounded and keeping me honest so um it's it's a lot of fun but what i do like about it is that i'm not always having to think about what the next question is you know so having and actually li probably listen a little bit more I exactly so joe you know i have a particular mindset or way of thinking and joe brings a completely different way of thinking um, and you wouldn't know that he wasn't a rancher or some kind of yeah. expert in grazing but he's been with this so long so it's 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 really such a pleasure watching this and you know joe's got a really good voice as well uh you can you've heard that radio voice of his joe dickie here you know mentor's message yes i'm frankly a little bit envious of it i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of my own voice frankly <laughs> well you've gotten into the wrong business lately then <laughs> Um, I guess so. it, it's also a little a little cool not only to have Joe on, but to have Joe on for episodes with ranchers and farmers and producers that he's been to their operations because he's been to Bart's several times. Uh, that's right. He's been to Bart's uh, for two two winters uh, in in a row. But uh, you know, honestly, I'm not sure how many ranchers and farmers. Um, it's probably in true South too. Dakota that Joe hasn't been <clears throat> to. But he, I mean, he knows. 
I don't know, he knows upward of a hundred ranchers out there and he'll know them by name and tell the story. He says sometimes it all kind of fades. You know, he mm-hmm. can't always remember who is totally. who, but he fall, you know, he usually falls in love with the farmers and ranchers yeah. he talks to and, and, and vice versa. Um, he's, he's just a wonderful fellow. All right. Well, enough about Joe. Let's talk about Bart <laughs> for crying out loud. Uh, well, I, <laughs> well, I, I, I think, I, again, we don't really need to rehash it, except Bart takes a very innovative approach to year round grazing and to systems. He, he doesn't want to use systems. He plans and then he adapts as he goes along. So I think those are those are really, in my opinion, hallmarks of what uh, what Bart is doing. And the fact that he sent his livestock off to Nebraska, uh, you know, it was a huge move, but um, it means he's got four months of extra pasture in front of him. Um, and so he, <clears throat> he destocked without selling his livestock. And I mm. think that's just a, a, a concept that I think we need to get um, get more familiar with. You know, one of the things is the South Dakota grassland exchange or grazing exchange, where you've got guys who have pasture or cover crop, but no cows and, you, or, you know, livestock. And you've got livestock with with livestock owners with a lot of livestock, but maybe not that much forage. And I think we need to start, you know, talking to each other and, and saying, hey, come on, um, come over and here's an agreement. Uh, I'll, you pay me rent. I'll, I'll keep your livestock for you, move your livestock, that kind of thing. Win-win for everybody. It's a win-win for everybody. And frankly, um, I'm applying for a grant, and this is what I've been doing here in South Carolina. And, and I was inspired by what was happening in South Dakota. Perfect. Well, this was another informative episode. I know Bart has a lot to teach, even if he's a little bit of a reluctant teacher at times. Um, we've got another episode already scheduled, not recorded, though, yet. Correct, right? correct. Yeah, we're hoping to speak to... The inimitable Emily Helms. Uh, she's the South Dakota uh, State Rangeland uh, Management Special um, Specialist. I hope I got her title right. But I, I really wanted to touch base with Emily about the state of um, the drought, which is going to be front and center with a lot of people. But um, she's an amazingly knowledgeable person. She's in her element when she's out in the field. And she's very comfortable around ranchers. And frankly, I see ranchers being very comfortable around her. She's extremely soft-spoken, doesn't want to be in the limelight. But I think it's really important to to tap into and to listen to what Emily has to say because uh, she has a lot of experience to share. And uh, we want to get that out in the open because Emily can help us move that soil health needle in South Dakota. She can also whip up some wicked baked goods. Oh, don't get me started on those baked goods. <laughs> she always seems to bring out something delicious for us on all the shoots that she travels uh, alongside us. Now we start to expect it, though. We're getting a little spoiled. We are getting spoiled. But what a wonderful, wonderful companion to have out in the field. Definitely. We've always enjoyed our time with Emily, and I'm sure it'll be a very informative episode. Well, we'll go ahead and hop out of the way. Buzz, what do they need to check the show notes for? Well, just um, we, we've just got some basic information from, from Bart. Again, he doesn't need much, um, much introduction, but he's also a mentor with the SD Grassland Coalition. 
And SD Grassland has so much in, in the way of amazing resources and, and mentors. Um, also, you know, grazing schools, remember ranch, ranching for profit, all of these things people are really encouraged to do. And I think there's a, a real big push now. Judge Jess, Jessup from SD Grassland is that they're starting to reach out more and more effectively to conventional gra grazers to, to, for the guys to go out and go to grazing school or ranching for profit. It's, it's just something I think we need to do as our land starts changing. Yeah, and SD Grasslands just launched a new campaign, Pray for Rain. Plan for Drought, Plan Pray for, drought. for Rain. Plan for Drought, Pray for Rain. Yeah. Is it that way, or is it pray for rain, plan for drought? I thought it was pray for rain, plan for drought. Pray for rain, plan for drought. I can't remember well, that, either. But that's a little uh, that's a little teaser for you guys. We'll include that link in the show notes, and you can find out for yourself if you click. Sounds the good. Again, you're going to remember to put those <laughs> in the show notes. Oh uh, yeah, I'm going to do my best. Okay, well, we'll hop out of the way. Episode coming up next with Emily Holmes. Huh, Emily Holmes. <laughs> Emily Helms. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I am Barrett Self. And I'm Buzz Clute. Ciao. And keep it resilient. Ooh, a little mix up <laughs> that time. <laughs>